0: Today is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Well done, Third Service. I do want to emphasize, I am am glad that you're here. But we got a lot of work and a lot of ground to cover today, so can we just kind of maybe bypass the West Michigan niceties and just get to work today? Can we do that? Is that okay? Sweet. All right, let's do it then. From race, to gender, to sexuality, to masculinity, to what it means to be a woman, all of the major questions of our day essentially revolve around this one question, what does it mean to be human? Our answer to that will either unite us, or if we answer that individually, this will lead to various logical, inconsistent proclamations about the boundaries of identity and permissibility. And oddly enough, the pressing issues and the pressing questions of our day are some of the first questions the Bible answers. What does it mean to be human? It means to be made in the image of God. That's what it means to be human, or in the big theological term, the imago Dei. That we all are made in the image of God. And we're going to look at three verses today, just three verses that will illuminate our understanding and hopefully unite humanity. Because even though Scripture, even though the Bible may disagree with some of the prevailing cultural conversations of our day, ultimately the message of God through the Bible in the pages of Scripture, it's a good message. It's meant for our good. And it's better. It's better it's a better message than any other religion leader, social media influencer, movement, or political party. What God has for us is better. So three verses today. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. We're going to at verses 26, 27, and 28. And if you're using the Bibles we've provided, that's found on page two. In these three verses, we see the structure for the Christian worldview that informs our understanding about the biggest issues of our day as it relates to human identity, race, gender, and sexuality. In Genesis 1 here, we see the introduction of humanity into the realm of existence. And so Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, would you please hear the word of the Lord? Then God said, let us make man in our image, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. We'll get to it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven above, Lord, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, would you please be with me and everyone who can hear my voice today that we may only hear the truth of your word. Lord, would you filter out any cultural conditioning that we may have, that we may see the world, each other, and ourselves as you do. Lord, I am am a broken man. I am in need of your grace. I'm in need of your protection as I speak these words. Father, I pray that you would bar from my lips anything that's not of you. So Lord, I just would pray for us all here and now that we would only hear your truth lord be thou our vision we pray these things in the precious name of our lord and savior in the name of jesus we pray and everybody said very loudly Amen. amen amen so i don't know if you saw it right there in those three verses but but the big topics of our world race gender and sexuality was just addressed in those three verses And because we know that we are people made in the image of God, we have answers to the plaguing questions of our day. Because we are all made in the image of God, we have a biblical answer to race, a biblical answer to gender, and a biblical answer to sexuality. One, two, three. Let's just get to it here today. Because we are made in the image of God, we have a biblical answer to race. Then God said, let us make man. The word there in Hebrew is the word for mankind, for all all people. Humans, let us make humans. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the earth. So there it is, the biblical answer to race. When it comes to race, biblically speaking, there is one race, the human race. As posted by Harvard, nonetheless... In an article entitled How Science and Genetics Are Reshaping the Race Debate of the 21st Century, listen to this. Quote, There is no evidence that the groups we commonly call races have distinct unifying genetic identities. In fact, there is ample variation within races. Ultimately, there is so much ambiguity between the races and so much variation within them that two people of European descent may be more genetically similar to an Asian person than they are to each other. In the biological and social sciences, the consensus is clear. Race is a social construct, not a biological attribute." End quote. Meaning, a white man may have more biological similarities to a black man than to another white man. Now, this is not to say that ancestry and certain cultural markers we grow up with don't have massive impact on our social groups and the way that we understand the world and each other and our own identity. But we have to go back to the beginning and understand that for the Christian, the biblical worldview is that that there's one race, the human race. You can't hate another race without hating yourself. This is why we emphatically reject white supremacy or any other worldview that results in racial idolatry. I believe that any attempts to divide us, such as through race, are actually just ways to attempt to control us. And while humans have divided ourselves into superficial divisions based on the amount of melanin in our skin or the national borders we are born within, We have to recognize that those divisions, however superficial they may be, have led to incalculable amounts of hate and death and human suffering. And it's because we have forgotten that we are one. That we are one. So let's just hit one of the hot topics of our day and one that often divides Christians. What about the Black Lives Matter movement? Now, let me just lay my cards on the table here for a moment. I've largely been silent on this issue, and it's because I'm not gonna jump on any bandwagons, conservative or liberal. This was an issue that I wanted to think on. I have a black son. This is an issue that's important to me, not just because I'm a leader, not just because I'm a Christian, but because I am a father. And so here's what I'll say, and please, please, everyone, just let me finish my thought. Because I know that I'm speaking to a largely white audience, and for the world at large, that comes with a major cringe factor. you guys know what I mean by that? So here's been my evolution on Black Lives Matter. At first, I was very comfortable with simply saying the statement, Black Lives Matter. Why? Because it's true. It's a true statement to say black lives matter. I didn't feel the need to also say all lives matter, just like I don't feel the need to say born lives matter when I say unborn lives matter. It's an endless and honestly a very tiresome debate to constantly have to confront the straw man. You guys know what I mean by this, right? That we have to qualify everything we say. We spend so much time qualifying everything we say, we never actually get to what we want to say because we have to account for all the things that we're not saying with what we do want to say. I like pineapple on my pizza. That does not mean I hate pepperoni. But that's what it feels like. That's what the conversation feels like in our world. And so here is ultimately where I land. I have chosen to avoid the statement, Black Lives Matter, not because it's not a true statement, it is, but because it's too enmeshed with the Black Lives Matter organization. And this organization has way too many issues for me in good conscience to support it. And let me just give you a few reasons why. The founding members of BLM are all self-proclaimed Marxists. One of them openly practices the occult where she talks about communicating with her dead ancestors. There's been allegations, various allegations, of misuse of funds and lack of transparency both within and from outside the BLM. They were openly critical of and devalue the nuclear family, which is God's original plan for family. And for me, that's a philosophical fork in the road. I can no longer go with you. Also, BLM has an incredible lack of focus on fatherhood. And fatherlessness is one of the key issues affecting the poor black community. All in all, there are far too many questions and bad philosophy for me to think they can achieve any lasting good or positive change and therefore they do not get my support. The Christian call is to make it on earth as it is in heaven. BLM does not have that vision and so they won't get my support. Yes, I know they're popular. Yes, I know they're influential. Yes, I know they have tens of millions of dollars but this doesn't change what I mentioned. But please hear me, every single black life has value. Those gang members who fight with police and are subsequently and justifiably shot and killed, their lives mattered. Those lives matter. Why? Because they are made in the image of God, to be a part of the race that we are all a part of, the same human race. And within this human race, not only are people beautifully different shades of color, we also are male and female, which leads to our second point. We have a biblical answer to gender. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created Them. So what we see here is the Christian worldview, that we are either male or female, both genders made in the image of God, both genders created by God. This means that men and women have equal value and equal worth before God, our good creator. Which leads to our big world question. What is the Christian response to transgenderism and gender identity? Well, as kind and generous and charitable as we can be, the answer is actually quite simple. In the Christian worldview, God has beautifully, wonderfully made us male and female that we might complement each other as we work together to see God's plan unfold in this world. There is no biblical category to say that we are biologically male on the outside and gender female on the inside. We do not believe that gender is a spectrum or a continuum of maleness to femaleness. Male and female are distinct, and that's good, and that's beautiful, and that should be honored, and that should be respected. This does not mean that men are cowboys and women are Barbie dolls. That is a worldly category, and we reject that. But the increase of transgender and gender nonconforming people are challenging the male-female dichotomy. And our culture is embracing this without qualification or consideration. And if you think this is anything short of a tidal wave of change in our culture, let me hit you with some stats. According to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons in the U.S., in 2015, there were 2,740 gender confirmation surgeries. 2015, just over 2,700 confirmation surgeries. In 2020, there were over 16,000. That is a a nearly 600% increase in five years, not to mention 2020 was also the year of COVID-19. Currently in the United States, 300,000 teenagers. That's 13 to 17 year olds. In the U.S., 300,000 teenagers identify as transgender and this number has doubled since 2017. Teenagers make up less than 8% of the population, but they make up nearly 20% of the transgender community. Although studies show that somewhere between two-thirds and 90% of transgender youth stop identifying as transgender as they reach adulthood, those stats are now coming under fire and scrutiny by the transgender community saying that they are outdated, flawed, and not reflective of recent trends. And of course we would think they would say that. Because in our world, you will be labeled a transphobe if you question this in any way that doesn't ultimately affirm or embrace the transgender community as perfectly healthy and normative. Which also includes allowing children to take puberty blockers and even undergo gender-affirming surgery. Which is unequivocally wrong. We don't let children vote. We don't let them drive. We don't let them get a tattoo. We don't let them decide if they want to go to school or not. We don't let them decide what they want to eat for every single meal. But yet we will surgically alter their bodies because of a feeling they have on the inside that oddly enough matches a tidal wave of cultural change. Is that who we are really going to be as a people? But you are, but you are a transphobe if you question this. And yet with the culture so affirming, transition... Transition surgeries skyrocketing. Most of us probably know the suicide stats among the transgender community is ridiculously high. 84% of the transgender community has considered suicide, and up to 40% have attempted it. This should pain anyone and everyone, left or right, who's val- who values people made in the image of God. That is sad and that's heartbreaking. And some will say that the stats are so high because they're not accepted by society. And I'm like, what? Transgenderism is fully embraced by the cultural elites? You all know what I'm saying right now is politically incorrect. Transgenderism is affirmed by Hollywood, by higher education, by our government, by the social media guidelines that we all must follow? What do you mean not accepted? Maybe, maybe it's not about acceptance. Maybe the suicide rates are so high because transgender people are actually hurting in pain and confused, and maybe they need compassion more than they need affirmation, because the abundance of affirmation in our society is only exposing that the cause of their pain and suicide is not due to a lack of acceptance, but that maybe it's either because it's a social contagion or it's mental illness. Either way, this needs to be approached with careful consideration, not automatic celebration. It's brokenness. It's brokenness because it's not God's plan. And if it's not God's plan, then it will only lead to more hurt and more pain. And I don't want that for anyone. This view does not spring from hate or disgust or disrespect, but from the understanding that we are all made male and female. And this is good because we need each other for the tasks God has given us, which leads us to the third point. We have a biblical answer to sexuality. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. There's no filling the earth. There's no making babies without male humans and female humans. Creating life and cultivating the planet takes both of us as God intended. And this is reflected in the creation story and in God's plan for marriage, which leads us to the big world question. What does this mean for Christians and homosexuality? We are seven years into the U.S. legalizing same-sex marriage. Every June is dominated by pride flags. Today, children's TV shows will openly show physically active gay romance. Isn't it time for the church to stop being quote-unquote homophobes and just embrace the LGBT plus community and what they represent as normative? Isn't it time? The answer is that we should absolutely love the gay community. And we should honor them as bearing the image of God. But we are at a potential impasse here. And it comes down to the terms of acceptance. If the gay community is going to draw the line that anything less than the full embracing of their sexuality as core to what it means to accept them, and that anything less than that is hate or homophobia, then Christians have nowhere else to go. Because when we love our gay neighbor, we do so while acknowledging their sexual and romantic pursuits are outside God's plan for human prospering, as Scripture says, to fill the earth and subdue it. I will not get into particulars at the moment, but the health risks and the negative consequences are significantly worse for those who engage in homosexual homosexual activity. But we can't talk about that because it's homophobic to talk about reality. You can look up for yourself in the National Library of Medicine or the Mayo Clinic website if you wish to know the details, but it's heartbreaking the negative health consequences that homosexual activity will bring upon a person. It's heartbreaking, and it just further shows that when we step outside of God's design, we move away from what is best for us, even if it feels right, and we move towards what is more harmful to us. God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman, in a mutually exclusive relationship for a lifelong committed covenant for couples to get married, then live together, then have children. Anything outside of that is sinful. And even Christians are throwing that off as outdated because even Christians fall prey to do what's right for you. You follow your own way. And we do that to the detriment of God's best and beautiful way. And this is all because it's a product of our brokenness and our broken world, and we fall prey to it. I lived, I lived with two gay men when I lived in Nashville. I tell you right now, they were kind people who were good to me and they respected my boundaries. And our apartment looked like it was decorated by Joanna Gaines herself. And even though I don't believe that homosexuality is God's plan for fruitfulness and true joy in this world, my sincere hope from the bottom of my heart is that every gay person that I meet will feel my love and will feel that it's a mislabel to call me homophobic. But if that's what they want to call me, then so be it. But it's not my heart. And so we've briefly looked at the foundation of what it means to be human in Scripture as it relates to the pressing issues of our day. And let me summarize it like this. We are made male and female in the image of God to be part of the one human race, joined together for our joy and for flourishing as we live out God's good plan. And while it's safe to say that most Christians will already agree with much of what I'm saying, I've heard a question that a lot of Christians fumble at answering these days. And it's this, why do you care? Why do you care so much? Why do you care what two people, two adults do in their adult lives? Why do you care? Well, aside from the massive impact upon our society and culture, here are two reasons I will share with you why it matters. And I'm gonna warn you right now, to stay within time, I've had to slice and dice this message to the point of bleeding. There's so much more that I want to talk about, but I'm just gonna leave you with two things. Why this matters to Christians. Number one, because we believe in truth that is objective. In our world, what is true and factual is being silenced, canceled, and discredited because it's not being said by people with the right skin color, or by people from the right political party, or because it doesn't coincide with the prevailing social agenda. And I am not saying that we shouldn't listen to voices or hear people's experiences, but when internal feelings and personal testimony now trump factual records and database documentation, that's a dangerous place to be in for a society. When we say things like men cannot have babies, it's not because we're not empathetically listening to trans women, it's because science and reason have told us this. The truth The truth is relevant. It's not relative. And for Christians, truth is core to understanding our world and ourselves and each other. And we believe it is a very great danger to trade the truth for what is true to you. Which leads to number two. We believe in progress guided by purpose. We believe in progress guided by purpose. The world's mantra of love is love opens a Pandora's box of boundless sexual activity as long as it's done in the name of love. I believe that our cultural trajectory in the coming years will increasingly affirm both polyamory and pedophilia. Polyamory, polyamory, many loves, polyamory is the increasing trend of group romance and eventually group marriages. And here's the logic behind this. If it doesn't matter, if it doesn't matter the gender of two people who are married, then why does it matter the number of people who are married? Can't three people love each other? And if so, why can't they be together? If four people love each other, why can't they be married? Love is love. Now, following this logic... Okay, so if gender doesn't matter, then number doesn't matter, well, does age really matter then? I mean, if, if we believe that children can be determinants of their own gender and cultural pressure has no bearing on this, then we are not logically far away from also saying that children can explore not just their gender identity, but their sexual curiosity and desires. And there is a world of pedophiles eager to join the LGBT plus alphabet so that they also can be embraced by society. But in our day, we don't call them pedophiles. That's way too stigmatized. The new term is MAPS, M-A-P-S, Minor Attracted Persons. And cracks are beginning to show in our culture as voices are rising to seek to normalize MAPS in our society under the banner Of progress and I'll tell to you that's not progress that's demonic regression my concern and my question for my progressive friends is this where 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 does progress lead describe the vision of what you are trying to achieve because I too want us to progress as a society but progress with a detailed and defined purpose a true vision and this is where Christians can come and offer something the world doesn't have a true vision for progress see this this vision that we have listen to me this is not a conservative vision this is not a liberal vision this is a kingdom vision this is God's vision when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was giving us a vision for how the world could and should be. Because the world has lost its way, and we need God's vision to get us back to where, we are, where God is calling us. But it takes Christians rising up and living in this vision, not hiding in the shadows, scared to speak up. We need Christians rising up, and living this beautiful vision for the world to see, to show the world that it's better. And so church, we need to unite our voices as we sing and declare that our heart is for God's vision. We are called to be like our Savior Jesus who gave up his life for the same people who hated him that they may have life. Our Savior gave up his life on the cross so that we could have a new identity, not following popular opinion, but a new identity in God as he makes us into who we should and could be as we reflect our Savior to the world. Jesus is the vision of who we are to be, how we are to love. And by the strength of the Spirit working among God's people, we can show the world a better picture of what it means to be made in the image of God if we follow God's vision, amen.